Hello and welcome to the WAMDA podcast. My name is Triska Hamid and I'm the editor at WAMDA. Now Bahrain is a small country with a small population of just one million, but it has a loud voice when it comes to supporting entrepreneurship in the country and across the region. The government has made attempts to champion startups by establishing entities to support entrepreneurship, providing funding and being quick to change regulations to suit startup needs. One area in which it seems to be excelling is in fintech or financial technology. In 2018, the Bahrain Fintech Bay was officially opened, an incubator, accelerator and a sandbox for fintech startups looking to test their ideas and get a license at the end. It is currently the largest fintech hub in the region and it has already issued pioneering new licenses. I spoke with Khalid Danish, who is the current CEO of Fintech Bay. Hi Khalid, thank you for joining us on the WAMDA podcast. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about Bahrain Fintech Bay. When did it start? Sure. So we started in Feb 2018. We launched the strategic partnership of the Economic Development Board to develop the Bahraini Fintech ecosystem. So why Fintech specifically? I think there was there were a number of initiatives before that had taken place at a governmental level and of course were part of the vision Crown Prince and also uh, with the regulatory sandbox set up in the CBB. So it was a natural extension for us to to be present as an entity. Um, I think the financial services industry is very important for Bahrain. Obviously, it was a key differentiating factor for us um, in the 80s and 90s, and it's imperative that we protect that industry and we continue to nurture it. Can you elaborate a little bit about why Bahrain's financial sector stands out compared to the rest of the GCC? I think traditionally it was post um, Beirut being the, the center of, of uh, or being a financial hub for the Middle East. And Bahrain was one of the early adopters, I guess, of, of financial services, having a fully, you know, uh, offshore, juris- well, uh, local jurisdiction. So we've always been first movers. I think we've started the, the drive to diversify away from oil, perhaps earlier than some of our neighbors, simply because we didn't have that commodity as, as available as, as others. So there was there was a, a real push from both government and from industry to, to take advantage of, of this particular landscape. We've got, you know, obviously international banks here that have been here for the past hundred years. And since then, we've seen obviously the emergence of local banks as well. I think the key point is that FinTech is a manifestation of emerging technologies applied to financial services. We're very interested in, in emerging technologies that touch, you know, the whole uh, host of, I guess, industry, whether it be automotive, whether it be food and beverage, ultimately financial services touches each and every one of those sectors. So in one way or another, we're, we're linked. So how did the traditional banks react to the yeah. development of a fintech sector? You know, in 2018, perhaps the awareness um, of what fintech or these emerging technologies such as blockchain, AI, wasn't as, as prevalent as it is today. And therefore, you know, how we can leverage and harness those technologies to further develop the financial services sector wasn't understood. So I'd imagine that, uh, you know, initially it was met with a little bit of resistance. Of course, you know, a new industry looking to, to take a piece of that market share is of course met with um, animosity at the beginning. However, we've seen especially since since our existence that mindset has completely changed and that is one of our you know core goals to to have changed that in some way or form so how did it change how much did you guys need to educate and go out and raise awareness uh uh, quite a lot (laughs) initially quite a lot 
we we published thought leadership initially that was a good way to, to raise awareness not just of what the opportunities are in Bahrain but also what's happening in uh, more developed markets as well as in the region our events and conferences are great to bring current ecosystem players together but also to provide a platform uh, for fintechs to showcase you know their solutions their innovations and how yes they are disrupting traditional business models but ultimately they're looking to collaborate that was the key message and that's why you know in the middle east and bahrain dubai and saudi we see quite a large number of b2b or business to business type um, fintechs that are looking to partner up with a entity as opposed to completely disrupt them and you know cut them out so what happens at the bahrain fintech bay how how does the model work so our ethos is, is collaboration so it's it's built on a network when we launched, first and foremost, we partnered with the industry and, of course, uh, strategically with the government, primarily with the Economic Development Board, the Central Bank, uh, Temkin, other government agencies. Temkin is our, our labour fund here in Bahrain. And without that network, I don't believe we would have been able to achieve any of what we've done so far. So, of course, there was a large, uh, especially at the beginning, a large focus on awareness. So, as I mentioned, the thought leadership, we published ecosystem reports, talent, regulation, uh, insurtech, regtech. That now we focused on more uh, niche uh, type thought leadership, cryptocurrencies, blockchain, distributed ledger technology, um, some of them in line with new regulations that are being enforced by the regulator. We're uniquely positioned in that we understand the needs of our partners, so primarily from the corporate sector, but we also really understand the needs of, of fintechs or startups coming into the space. These can either be local, regional or international. But what we've seen is, you know, across the various stages of growth, we have something to offer. So whether it be our incubation services in our space, which is now home to around uh, 40 companies from all around the world, some corporates in here as well that look to place the corporate innovation labs, or our new accelerator program that's launching in June. Um, um, and that's for post-MVP startups to something that we do quite uniquely in the region. I don't believe anyone else is really doing it yet in that we strategically um, partner up with global scale-ups and the work that we do with them is really on the business development side. And we've seen traction from across the world, from Singapore, Hong Kong, Europe, the UK, um, some of which have gained traction in Bahrain um, with the intention, of course, scaling. Now, once they do gain traction, obviously they need to set up here so our space is perfect for that um, they look for talent for which we help them through some of our education initiatives um, on, on that front you know education for us is tremendously important so we um, we initially started with a partnership with Georgetown created a Georgetown fintech program and that's primarily built for financial professionals looking at disruption innovation and ultimately entrepreneurship how they can change from within but as part of that we carved out something that we call the fintech talent program for young Bahrainis. That's a th six month program where we take a cohort of 25 high caliber fresh graduates. We also, with Tim Keen, have, have factored in that during the, the program, they'll also be going through an internship of six months. So we're also creating employment opportunities with either startups or with corporates in digitization, uh, FinTech. And do these graduates need to be from a particular discipline? Or? Not necessarily. Okay. Um, but we do see, obviously, bias towards banking, finance, engineering, ICT, computer science. So those are typically what 
banks and startups are looking for right and now. did they go to the us at georgetown to do this course or no so they? actually they come here okay. so we, we've got uh, the professors fly out so the f- the first and last modules are live mm-hmm. the rest is taught online and what's different about this particular course because obviously there's a lot of online fintech education now what's different about it is that there are two um, parallel tracks one that is focused on kind of the fintech curriculum which teaches you about concepts and fintech and also the basics of finance. And the second is more entrepreneurship driven. So okay. where groups are actually formed and they work on a fintech idea throughout the process of the... And with, with the fintech talent program, they go through the Georgetown uh, course initially, through the internship, and then we take the best performing five of each cohort to our sister platforms in Singapore or San Francisco. And what do they do there? So they have a six-week experience in a... Obviously, these are thriving fintech ecosystems, especially when you you look at the likes of Singapore, which is obviously a good model for us in Bahrain. And they shadow fintechs out there, and hopefully they can bring back some of that experience with them. Okay. So, so yeah. walk me through a process of a fintech that comes yeah. to Bahrain yeah. and does the incubation. Yeah. What happens afterwards? So a fintech or a startup that approach that comes to Bahrain or is introduced to us isn't always necessarily looking for the same thing. Okay. Some are simply looking to um, explore the market and just validate their product if it makes sense here. Others are strategically looking at the Middle East as an expansion point and are now assessing which uh, launch pad they are looking at. Um, so with us, it's about what, what value can we give back to them? Are they looking for incubation space, i.e. they need, um, they're, they're currently testing with the regulator and the regulatory sandbox and therefore need a, need a presence here. Um, they need set up, they need legal advice, they need introduction to the ecosystem, do they need funding opportunities perhaps. Others are definitely more strategic the way we look at them, in which we, we um, actually work with them hand in hand on business development. So expansion across the Middle East, obviously starting in Bahrain, as well as of course funding opportunities that arise further down the line. So how many cohorts have you done so far? Our current accelerator is more for scale-ups. Okay. And that's not actually cohort-based. That's a long-term agreement. Okay. Or long-term, should I say, arrangement with with companies from all over the world. And what about the incubator? In in the summertime, we are launching a cohort-based okay. accelerator. I think that was you know a missing piece of the puzzle for us, especially on the earlier stage startups. And especially given that you know local GCC startups are quite nascent that you know a lot of them have not reached series a for a reason we mm. believe well lack of exposure lack of support but also lack of funding opportunities seed capital is you know um very needed in this part of the world series a and above i think we're very well funded we do have a lot of vcs angel networks we're seeing institutional client money as well now looking for that late late uh series a and above so for us, the, the accelerator is important and it gives us an opportunity as well to, to give back to, to Bahrain. We'll be doing that. What's different about it is that we're actually doing that with four local banks that we'll be announcing shortly. And we don't take equity. Okay. So, and how much will you be offering each startup? So each startup will have um, their flights and accommodation covered. Um, and then, of course, it's down to the participating banking partner to, to offer funding opportunities or pilot programs. One of the things we're doing on the accelerator front as well with one of our other banking partners. So what kind of fintechs are more prevalent in this part of the world? 
think as with as with um, with all markets, right? It started with payments, remittance. I think that 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 goes across the board. We've seen crowdfunding coming into play. Of course, that's contingent on the speed of the regulator and allowing uh, companies to play in that space. We do so in Bahrain, central bankers, crowdfunding regula- uh, regulation, I, th- I believe the same as in Dubai. We're seeing the emergence of rope advisory. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe going forward, the key, I guess, vertical to look at is the alternative lending or the SME space. Anything that's catered towards SMEs, I believe, does have tremendous scalability across the region, not just in the GCC, but MENA. So if you can explain what a sandbox is for yeah. someone who might not be too clued up yeah. on the vocab. Yeah. So I believe the concept was originated in the UK from the FCA, with, which is essentially a safe testing environment, similar to a sandbox that we put our kids in, right? Um, so a safe testing environment whereby the number of customers or number of clients or number of users you have is restricted, but the, the overall license criteria is is more lax so it gives you a bit of room to breathe over a set period of time usually these things i mean in bahrain we do it nine to twelve months usually these things are about six to twelve months uh, globally so essentially what it is is if you are a fintech looking for a particular license that doesn't exist this is a way for you to showcase what you do to the regulator and in return hope that you know that knowledge is, is shared and transferred um and that some towards the end or as you graduate, there will be a license that's catered for you um, in the jurisdiction that you've applied to. So for example, in Bahrain, we had uh, one of our companies that was incubated with us called Rain. They were a crypto asset exchange. Um, They entered the sandbox. Obviously they were with us. Um, We helped them a little bit with the regulation. We obviously work quite closely with the regulator. We helped them secure a little bit of funding as well, but ultimately, once they got that regulation, the crypto asset regulation, they were able to go to market. And, you know, unlike some of our neighbors, we don't have the concept of free zone. So, you know, they can they can just go to market at a, at a national level. Um, so it's a full license. It's a full license, yeah. Now, obviously, there are caveats that come with that, especially on the crypto side. I think Bahrain has definitely taken the lead on that front. I mean, right behind you, there's a crypto ATM that's currently being tested <laughs> in the sandbox. How does that work? You cash in or cash out. So they offer, I think, uh, five five different types of coins. So I can buy a Bitcoin yeah. through that? Yeah. Okay. It takes a picture and there's a full KYC process. But yeah, that's that, that, that that's what you, that's the kind of the physical manifestation of that. And that's who's a, developed that? That's a uh, Kuwaiti individual, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So he, he brought that concept to, to Bahrain. And of course, you know, he can't just set up where he wants. The regulator wants to know how safe is this. It's their duty to protect consumers, to protect uh, the industry, to ensure AML, and anti-money laundering, and uh, non-terrorist financing. So how do you um, balance the need to innovate and to need to stay ahead in technology with everything that you just mentioned, protecting the consumer, anti-money laundering measures? There, There are global best practices, I think, because we relatively new to the game compared to um, Singapore, the Far East, uh, the UK, Europe, US, it gives us a lens into the future and also you know, provides us a roadmap to, to follow, to potentially leapfrog some of the hurdles that we've seen in more developed markets. It, it's a fine balance, it's, it's absolutely a fine balance and you know, thankfully the regulator here has been um, open-minded. You know, the sandbox is, is one initiative they've, they've started and I think it's, it's, it's essential 
we need to continue that momentum. We need to see more regulation catered towards uh, fintechs, um, especially if you th- if you think about a fintech potentially going to market against someone like a bank. Um, and from a banking side, it allows them to stay relevant. How many licenses have been given to fintech startups here? Um, so there's the crypto asset mm-hmm. uh, license, there is the crowdfunding license, there is the AISPPISP, which is the account um, aggregation or account formation um, service provider and payment initi- initiation service provider. Robo advisory, I think, is is, on, is in the works. Going forward, the more interesting ones will be around tokenization, fractionization of, as- of assets. That opens up a whole other array of um, of fintechs and subsectors within that, within real estate, within prop tech as well. And were those regulations developed alongside the companies, the startups? Yeah, okay. uh, exactly that. So that and that, that's the point, right? That's why uh, it's in the central bank's interest to invite uh, fintechs or companies, innovative companies, to the sandbox so they can learn about their products and ensure that we have the best practices um, and frameworks in place to then cater to other companies that would be looking for those similar licenses in the future. But now we, we're seeing more of these uh, fintech sandboxes, regulatory yeah. bodies appear across the region. Is this competition uh, creating a, a sustainable environment for fintech companies or is it just fragmenting it even more and making life more difficult for no, 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 no. I think on the contrary, the more support that's available, some of the initiatives that we're seeing out of Saudi or the UAE, Kuwait, Egypt now, in fact, that just gives uh, a fintech more credibility and especially when, when building these products, solutions, services, scalability is key. So the more support that's available in other jurisdictions outside of a, a particular uh, you know, uh, launch, the better and ultimately if we want to see you know a gcc or, or a mina uh, unicorn in the future that's what's going to need to happen it's going to have to be support structures wrapped under an umbrella of kind of a harmonized approach to supporting fintechs and is everyone open to collaborating i think healthy competition is necessary but there are some there are some concepts i do feel like we need to tackle um, across the board we're all nuanced, we all uh, play to our strengths. What we're seeing more and more is a lot of fintechs from Dubai, Abu Dhabi, here in Bahrain, and actually mm. we're seeing that cross-pollination, which, which is fine. Um, fintechs will, will gravitate towards um, a jurisdiction that's supportive to them, depending on what they're looking for. Do they need talent? Do they need funding? Do they need scale? Do they need business? So, yeah, ultimately, if we can build one big melting pot across the GCC, I think it will be very interesting. So the ones who end up here, what are they looking for? Um, Traction. I think here is a very good... um, Bahrain is, you know, it's almost a cliche now, but it is true, and I've seen this with my own eyes, that we very much are a testbed. We very much are... You know, believe in in, in public private partnerships. So, us as an entity having partners on on government side as well as industry, I think is unique. When it comes to a company setting up, I truly do believe Bahrain is fastest to to enable that, um, to test and validate a product for the Gulf as well. Bahrain shares a lot of the the market characteristics of bigger markets, so it gives you a good validation space. You know, the openness of the regulator is definitely something to be taken advantage of. So, you know, from our standpoint, we 
we very much are well placed in terms of being a test bed and of course you know to, to scale across the, the GCC I guess is the key kind of uh, goal for these fintechs there is of course then a, then a continuation of that because when you look at the GCC and so on it, it is a sizable market of course that we should address you know 1.5 trillion US size market but once you include Egypt and North Africa, as well as the Levant region and Jordan, etc., then it becomes very interesting. Then you know we we could have fintechs here the same way that you know India has fintechs or China has fintechs in the sense that they can scale and they never have to leave. It could be hyper localized to the MENA region. Thank you for doing this podcast. Thanks so much. One of the pioneering licenses that Fintech Bay has issued is for cryptocurrency exchanges. The startup who received it was Rain. I spoke with AJ Nelson, the co-founder of Rain, to explain exactly what a cryptocurrency exchange is and whether it was easy to receive the license. Hi, AJ. How are you today? I'm doing well. Well, how are you today? Very well, thank you. Um, let's talk about Rain. What is it? What is a cryptocurrency exchange? Uh, so Rain is the very first licensed cryptocurrency exchange uh, here in the GCC. And what a cryptocurrency exchange is, uh, very simply, is a way that you can take your fiat money, uh, your country's you know, local... The hard cash. The hard cash and convert it into cryptocurrency. Which is like Bitcoin, Ethereum, these Bitcoin, kind of things. Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, okay. XRP, you know, all, of, all of that good stuff. And prior to your license, did, did anyone have the right to exchange fiat money for Bitcoins in this part of the world? So that's a tricky question. <laughs> uh, legally, there was no uh, there was no formal license that was specifically designed for people to trade to go from fiat to cryptocurrencies. Okay. So what did people do? They just did it, but didn't have the proper licenses. Yeah, there are okay. some players that did that, as well as uh, people always find a way, and people do a lot of cash trading. Uh, via local bitcoins and they meet up at like cafes or you know somewhere in the city to to trade cash for bitcoin Uh, so there's pretty much bitcoin trading happening in every single country in the world in one way or another how much of it is happening in the middle east and north africa Uh, so we've only been live for six months now Uh, so we're still learning uh, what the total the total addressable market is but uh, we wouldn't be here if we didn't think you know, it wasn't large enough. But why did you choose Bahrain to set up? Uh, so there's four co-founders, uh, myself, Joseph, Yahya, and Abdullah. Uh, Joseph and myself are from San Francisco. Okay. Uh, we've been running tech companies together uh, for about the past decade. Uh, we actually grew up together. Uh, and we met Yahya and Abdullah about four years ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yahya uh, started the very first Bitcoin meetup uh, in the MENA region in Cairo in 2014, I believe. Uh, he was lucky enough to, get, to be getting his MBA in uh, the Bay Area in 2011 and 2012, which was the really early days of crypto. And he went to all the meetups there. And uh, after graduating, moved back home to Cairo and thought, you know, why isn't there a Bitcoin meetup here? And he started that one. And then Abdullah, uh, our, our fourth co-founder, is from Riyadh, and he has kind of just been the face of Bitcoin in Saudi uh, for, for a long time. Uh, so all four of us met, as I mentioned, about four years ago, and we spoke with pretty much every regulator in the region over the course of the last four years. I landed here in Bahrain uh, because the, the regulators were the most open and the most willing to, to home us. 
how involved were you guys in developing the regulations for the license? That's a good question. We, uh, being a part of the sandbox process, uh, was a really great opportunity for us. That was the, the sole reason we came to Bahrain. Uh, you know, they were, when other countries said no, uh, Bahrain was willing to put us in the sandbox, uh, in the regulatory sandbox, let us operate, and also have a conversation with us about what we thought you know, the license should look like. Uh, we actually got to see the regulatory, the framework before it got released and, and add some comments and feedback to that, uh, which was really great going through the consultation process. So we didn't you know, draft it by any means, uh, but we did have some small say in it, which uh, we were really proud of and still proud of to this day. How important is it for regulators, not just in fintech, but generally to get startups involved? before you know issuing licenses and developing new regulations it's everything if a country wants to attract you know new business it has to talk to the companies that are doing that new business and with with new things like cryptocurrency it's so unknown you know it's like the internet back in the early 90s mm. you know no one really still knows what it, what it's capable of or or most people don't even know what it is still so as an entrepreneur, you're just looking for a region or a jurisdiction that you can go to that has a big enough addressable market, you know, has a big enough business opportunity, and also has the willingness and openness from the regulators to let you operate. And who exactly are you targeting? Who are your customers? Yeah, so our customers are primarily investors, you know, people that are wanting to buy, sell, and trade uh, cryptocurrencies here in the GCC. So how much is a typical amount that they would invest? It varies. Uh, okay. Completely. You can, on RAIN, you can buy one BD worth of Bitcoin. No point. This is a big uh, misconception in the industry that you don't have to buy one Bitcoin. You can buy point zero 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 one of a Bitcoin, which is pretty, which is pretty cool. Okay. Uh, it allows a whole future uh, of different types of payments like microtransactions, but uh, we'll save that for another podcast. Uh, but, you know, anywhere from one to five BD, uh, all the way up to millions of dinars so or d- dollars. So does this mean that you end up sharing a Bitcoin with other people around the world if you've bought a, a one BD or like a dollar's worth? Uh, no, no. So okay. Bitcoin is incredibly divisible. So you can split a Bitcoin up into, I don't know exactly how many pieces, but uh, a lot. You can own a fraction of a Bitcoin which makes it really unique. But the implications of that are massive. Like you said, microtransactions, people who don't have a bank account can buy a Bitcoin or a percentage of it, and they can use it to buy almost anything these days. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Okay. I guess now I fully understand the power of cryptocurrency and why it has, why its believers believe so much in it. But how well known is this in the region? How much do you spend your time educating people? We really take a strong stance on just education and not selling, you know, or, or pushing people into uh, Bitcoin or, or other cryptocurrencies. The industry is so small and so young that we don't believe in doing, you know, portfolio management or, or you know, being like a typical stockbroker bro- stock that's, that's trying to push volume. Uh, so what we do is we just do education. You know, we have a really thorough support uh, support knowledge base. We have like over 500 articles about what Bitcoin is, how to invest in it, all the details of it. We actually hold in-person meetups as well that are just centered around the technology, just answering questions as to what is Bitcoin, uh, 
you know, what is Ethereum, what is Litecoin, if people should invest in it or not, and, and things like that. So education is so important in these early days, and that's really a lot of what we do. We actually provide uh, 24-7, 365 live chat support in English and Arabic. And most of our live chat support is just our support agents who do a great job uh, just educating customers. You know, a, a customer will land on our website and ask, what is Bitcoin? Uh, you know, how much can I buy? Should I buy? Uh, how do I do a, a bank transfer? You know, what is a SWIFT transfer? Uh, how do I buy via credit card? All, all what those are kind the, of things. What are the main hesitations of people? Uh, we don't. We don't really see a lot of hesitation. Okay. There, I, we don't have exact numbers on it yet, but I think everyone would be very surprised as to just how many people are interested in Bitcoin and purchasing Bitcoin all around the world. It's happening in every single country. Are there certain markets in the region that are showing great, greater interest or investing more? Of course. You know, just I would say by the nature of size. Uh, you know, Saudi is a much larger market as compared to some of the other GCC countries. So I'd say nothing in particular. Uh, but most of the markets correlate like with their size. Where do you see cryptocurrency going in this part of the world? A lot of people still think it's a fad, that it's not stable enough. How do you see it developing? I think that what the internet did to data, I think Bitcoin will do to money. The fact that you now have money that is not, that is decentralized, it's not issued by a central bank or a central authority, and it's near instant to send around the world, and it's and, and near f free to send, means that new people on the Bitcoin blockchain today are sending $800 million payments that are done in a fraction of a second, and you know, they're also done for a few pennies, which is pretty incredible if you know how the, the current banking system works, and if you tried to move that much money, uh, or as you mentioned, uh, like the microtransactions, it's just, it's impossible today to send someone less than a cent. It's, it just costs too much money to move money. So with those two use cases, I, I have no idea where we're going to go. Uh, it's, it's kind of like asking, what is the internet going to do before the browser was built? You know, it took the browser and then JavaScript and then, uh, you know, the app store and then our iPhones and then GPS attached to our iPhones and then Uber came and so I think there's many, many more layers that need to be built, and we're still very much in the infrastructure phase. We're almost in the phase where exchanges like us are just laying dial-up cables all around the world, if that makes sense. Some people use crypto for payments. Uh, we see some businesses using it uh, for payments instead of SWIFT transfers. So it's kind of like asking, like, what's the use case for money? There are some primary ones, uh, but there's just so, so many, I would say. So for someone listening to this and who's thinking of investing in cryptocurrencies, what would your recommendation be right now? Go buy $5 worth or 5BD or whatever your local currency is and just, just own some you know, and, and send it somewhere. Any particular coin? Or? Uh, Bitcoin. Okay. Why Bitcoin over the others? Yeah, that's uh, a more uh, opinionated Okay. Uh, decision, but I'd say Bitcoin, it's just the, it's the most trusted. It has the most work going into its blockchain. It's the most secure. And it's, I would say the only cryptocurrency that has really shown a lot of potential. Uh, I'd say most of the others, Bitcoin is still an experiment uh, for sure, 
but the others are are uh, much more like truer experiments all right well thanks for the tip thanks aj of course thank you Thank you to both our guests and to the Economic Development Board for setting up these interviews. And thanks to you for listening. If you want to listen to our previous podcasts, you can do so on wamda.com or through your podcast provider.